My name is Tom Abbott from the University of Warwick. The recent controversy over the rights of Catholic adoption agencies to refuse to accept the laws agreed by Parliament over the issue of adoption by gay couples has highlighted the difficulties in the relationship between religion and the public world. Professor Roger Trigg of Warwick's Department of Philosophy has questioned the role religion should play in public life. Roger, in your new book, Religion in Public Life, you ask the question, must faith be privatised? What do you mean by that? I think a lot of people nowadays are embarrassed at the thought of religious views being paraded in public. They want a neutral public space. Now, this is very much the French model. The French believe in something called la laïcité. I think the very word suggests something to do with anti-clericalism. They don't want the authority of the church in public life. But the idea is that all public places, schools particularly, should be neutral places where religion is not practised And, to be fair, anti-religion isn't preached either. It's neutral. Now, my worry about that is actually it subtracts religion, which is one of the most powerful motive forces in human nature, from anything in public. It pushes it into private life. It makes it look as if it's something that consenting adults may do in private, but somehow mustn't come out into the public domain. And I think that is actually dangerous because Mm. you're pushing something away out of public life, which, uh, as I said, is a very powerful force. And unless it's susceptible to rational discussion, unless we can talk about it publicly and criticise it, uh, then I think all it does is enable a whole head of steam to build up. And religious people will try and find ways of influencing what's going on but perhaps in ways that are are not particularly rational, not democratic, as indeed the religious right in the United States, where they're reacting to a whole series of uh, uh, rulings by the Supreme Court over many years to subtract religion from public life. They haven't got quite to the French position, but there are a lot of people in the United States who are pushing that way, even though the United States is such a religious country, and I mean, 80% of the people would fervently want religion in public life. Prayer, for instance, isn't allowed in schools. But uh, worse than that, uh, religion can't be discussed in schools. So you couldn't even, with sixth formers or people in high school, uh, have a rational discussion about Darwinism uh, for and against. Oh, because it brings religion in. We mustn't bring that in. This is a big issue right now as well, isn't it? We've had recent issues around the display of uh, a crucifix uh, within an employment situation or the wearing of a hijab um, for a Muslim woman. Um, And there have also been instances around uh, Sikhism and some of the controversy that went on about a play that was hosted in Birmingham. Why are we struggling to have this debate? Why are we struggling to be able to discuss these issues? Well, of course, one of the backgrounds is that we're very much more a pluralistic society than we used to be. I mean, there isn't a settled body of belief. Uh, There used to be quite a lot of struggle, uh, in a sense, about uh, representation of religion in society. But it was between Christian denominations, and Mm. there was certain resentment, perhaps, of the position of the established church or something like that. Uh, But there was a basic assumption that, at any rate, Christianity was the, was the basis for it all, and there was a basic agreement. But now we can't assume that. And uh, particularly with immigration, there are people from non-Christian backgrounds, people with no religion at all. So we're in a position in society where we have to live together, but we can't assume any shared body of belief. Now, of course, that's dangerous because we do have to live together and uh, we have some principles or have to have some principles in order to do so. Mm. I mean, people talk about freedom, 
They talk about equality, and I think both are important. Uh, but what do those rest on? One particular view of that might be that they themselves, and I think historically it's true, mm. they re- themselves rest on Christian thinking. Is that part of the problem about disassociating religion from public life, is that it leaves a moral, vac- a moral or an ethical vacuum? Yes. That we don't have anything readily available to us to fill that to fill that vacuum. Yes, and I think a lot of people now think they can fill it by an appeal to human rights. Now, human rights are important, uh, but they soon clash. You have a right of freedom, a right of equality. You mentioned earlier the recent row about uh, um, gay rights, Catholic adoption agencies. There you have a very strong demand for equality on behalf of a group of people, on analogy as of those with racism, that there's discrimination against a particular group. But immediately it impinges on the strongly held religious views of another group. So as far as I can see, you have, therefore, equality versus religious freedom. And it's very difficult to resolve that kind of issue. And just appealing to human rights doesn't do it. We just gets us into the problem. Uh, and I also think there's the question about what is the basis of human rights? Where do they come from? Um, you might say, well, we're all equal because we're equal in the sight of God. Freedom is important because God has given us free will. Take those theological uh, emphases away, which have been there, I mean, for centuries. I mean, mm. people like John Locke, the, one of the first liberal philosophers, was a Christian philosopher. But take that away, and I think they're floating in midair. And it looks as if then we're saying, well, we all agree about human rights because we agree about them. But there are plenty of people who don't agree about them, not at least, say, the Chinese, who say it's all a Western imperialist conspiracy. Mm. So uh, we, there is a problem there. Um, I think one thing that worries me is that, um, although I recognise there are differences between religions and between people who are religious and not religious, nevertheless, if you take religion out of the picture, you've removed a very strong historical basis for our society... And I think people think they can do that and leave everything the same. But I don't think that will follow. I think things will change in a very radical way and probably an unforeseeable way. So we're in rather uncharted territory there, I think. Is it, I mean, is it possible in your mind to be able to maintain um, that, I suppose, that heritage of religious um, engagement with the public life and yet still manage a pluralist society? Well, I, I think at the moment, it, yes. Uh, one of the things that intrigues me is that members of other religions, and I mean non-Christian religions, um, quite often explicitly support the establishment of the Church of England. Um, that applies to people like the chief rabbi, it applies to leading Muslims. And it seems very paradoxical that they would uh, support what looks like privilege for a, a different religious group. But they see that at the moment the various uh, pressures against, let's say, the Church of England, because it's the Church, because it's established, because it has public recognition, actually uh, are pressures coming from people who are against all religion, who, as I've said, want religion to be privatised, who want it to be a matter for the home but not public life. And what they want is to achieve some kind of recognition in public life themselves for people to see what they think important and why they do and at least to be a full part of the democratic argument. Mm. Uh, Is that that ability to be part of the full democratic argument weakened by the fact that the Church of England has a special status as being the official church 
No, well, I, I was going to say yeah. that what they think is it's actually strengthened at the moment because actually the Church of England, being a rather tolerant body, acts as an umbrella for all religion, not as an exclusive way of, of getting other religions out of the way. So it means that actually the state has to take account of religion. Now, the alternative, say the French model, mm. is that religion is put absolutely out of public life. You can't produce religious reasons for legislation. You can't discuss religion at all. And and I th think a lot of people, and Islam particularly, would would be uh, would find that very difficult. It is is part of the problem here that there's not enough transparency about people's involvement with faith, people in public in the public eye. When Ruth Kelly was appointed as cabinet minister, there was a lot of discussion about her membership of the Catholic organisation Opus Dei, which was portrayed as being quite a secretive organisation. Would it would it help to have a, a sort of a declaration of people's of public servants' religious or philosophical uh, influences as much as we have a register of their financial interests. I think actually in practice it would be very difficult for somebody to, in a very short space to say what actually they philosophically thought about some things. Uh, but uh, that worries me because it looks like a religious test or an anti-religious test. And uh, uh, one thing I do strongly, firmly believe in is freedom of religion mm -hmm. and that people who stand for Parliament... Um, should be able to stand with all faiths and none. And uh, there shouldn't be a hurdle of a particular kind of belief that's required to get into Parliament. Now, of course, there was once you had to be a member of the Church of England. And uh, even Charles II still tried to uh, pursue that. But that didn't work. And after 1688, there was much more toleration in this country, which widened and widened. And in the United States, uh, when they declared independence in 1776, one of the things they were most anxious to do was to get rid of religious tests for public office so that you didn't have to be a member of a particular church. And up to that point, yes, you, I mean, it would help. To, you, you had to be a Congregationalist or uh, in Massachusetts or an Anglican in Virginia or something like that. Uh, but certainly, uh, I think it's most important that, that there shouldn't... I mean, that seems to be an assault on individual freedom, on religious freedom, to say, you must say what you believe, because the implication is that matters, and therefore we're going to vote against you if whatever. So it's not to do with your policy. It's not to do with what, what you say you're going to do. It's to do with something about you. And, you know, if you're an atheist or if you're a theist, we're not going to have you. And that, that seems to me quite sinister, really. Mm. Now, um, by the same token, one of the things I'm arguing against in my book is that religion is something that's only in the private sphere. Uh, and therefore, I don't think that, um, say, members of the cabinet should be ashamed if they have religious beliefs and they shouldn't be as uh, ashamed of uh, even forming policy as a result of that I'm sure I can see it happening the other way that um, education secretaries who aren't religious for instance want to downplay Christian teaching in schools and have quite often um, you can see it influencing people um, but but I think in a sense that's all part of public debate and it's better if it's all up front and it's all we discuss the issue but publicly um, Perhaps it's, it's better that individuals just don't force their own opinions, but, but they say what their opinions are, and then there's a collective decision about what's necessary or not. Do you think it's, it's a, a time for the Church of England and other faiths based in the UK to start, not exactly throwing their weight around, but to start being more vocal 
on key issues and to start to sort of to demonstrate that they have important things to say on the matters of our time. Yes, well, I certainly think they shouldn't be embarrassed about doing that. I mean, I've always thought the great problem is when bishops start pontificating about things that they don't know anything about, for instance, as if they behave as if they're professors of economics and start talking about inflation or something like that. Uh, But on basic moral issues, sometimes they're not vocal enough. I I, I do agree. I mean, the problem is it gets controversial. But, uh, But certainly I would defend their right to make public pronouncements. Um, One of the other problems about putting religion into private life, and you can see this happening in the United States, is that if it becomes a private issue, but it becomes protected, so we protect people's freedom privately as long as they don't rock the boat publicly, um, because there's no public discussion of religion, uh, the tendency is then for religion to be left undefined. And indeed that's happening in this country because a lot of acts of parliament talk about religion and belief in a very vague way Mm. and courts are very reluctant to say what counts as religion. So in the end it can mean that religion is what I say my religion is. And uh, there was one ridiculous situation in the United States that went to uh, a federal appeals court and went quite a long way in the 1970s where a group of prisoners claimed that it was their religion to have Harvey's Bristol Cream and Steak at 5pm on Fridays. Now, um, I couldn't think that any lawyers would take it seriously, but they managed to convince people that was their sincere belief, and therefore it had to be recognised. Now, if something's out in the open and can be publicly rationally discussed, everybody could say, look, that's not on as a serious religious belief, and we're going to rule it out. And some religions, I mean, and this is the, the other side of the coin about um, religion in public life, some religions cannot even be tolerated. I mean, a religion that enjoins ritual slaughter, for instance, and there are some, I mean, emanating in Africa or wherever, um, uh, that that one must say, actually, we cannot allow that. A more contentious issue is polygamy. I mean, there are Muslims who want Sharia law rather than English law applying to them. Um, Well, that's a matter for public discussion, but if we actually think that as a matter of public policy, polygamy is wrong then that should apply to everybody. But that again, but Muslims and others should be part of that public discussion. It shouldn't be said that, oh, well, that's religious, you mustn't bring it into the, the argument. Do we need to find a greater degree of tolerance and flex- flexibility in the way we approach public life? You could argue that the whole issue around Catholic adoption agencies was driven by a political dogma versus a religious dogma. If either side had been able to operate in a slightly more flexible uh, take a more flexible approach, then we might have found a solution that didn't create such a controversy. It seems to me that it was an issue that could be perfectly rationally discussed. I mean, there are plenty of non-Catholics who would say, actually, children do better with a mother and a father, so they would be against giving children to single parents as well as uh, uh, parents of the same sex. And that seems to me a, um, a perfectly reasonable discussion. I mean, whether one agrees with it or not is another matter. But but I can understand why people would take that position, and perhaps that position should be respected. I mean, in this case, it hasn't been public policy, but one could say that there are particular agencies that are perfectly entitled to go by that, I would have thought. Mm. So, I mean, just as uh, with conscientious objection, we, we do accept that people aren't forced to kill people if they think that's wrong. I mean, they would have to serve in another way. They can't get out of serving their country completely. But we do recognise that even if we aren't pacifists, we can respect a pacifist conscience. And there are areas in religion which are like that, I think. Do you think the, <coughs> the act of not taking religious 
opinion into into consideration when looking at public life encourages particularly certain i suppose certain groups to take their to become more extreme in their religious opinion because by becoming more extreme they feel they've got a better chance of being listened to yes and it also makes them look for non-democratic animals and uh, avenues uh, because instead of looking at uh, particular kind of democratic channels and ways of convincing people or at least showing what they think so that they would say well look at least respect my beliefs uh, they withdraw into ghettos and look for other ways of doing things. I mean, as I said, the religious right in America are sometimes are very tempted by that kind of, mm. uh, of way of doing things. That they, There are plenty of ways of exerting political pressure without coming out in the open, and that's not healthy, I think. Is that part of the fear of religious involvement in, in, poli- in public and political life, that when you sort of look at examples of, I suppose, theocratic states or, or areas where there is a very heavy influence from... Uh, a particular religious group that that doesn't necessarily go down particularly well yes but that's very often because they're not respecting freedom and I think that I mean I would actually say freedom is itself a a Christian principle I mean freedom of the will is something that's been preached by Christianity so if you don't respect individual freedom and the right of an individual to choose uh, you're going against a very basic principle Mm. so that's part of the ingredient of of the general discussion and I mean, certainly, a, a lot of this discussion is, in a sense, tainted by ancestral memories of authority and authoritarian approaches by the Catholic Church, not least. Um, I, I think even with this row about Catholic adoption agencies, I'm, I'm not a Catholic, but I, I can see that there's a visceral anti-Catholicism still at work here, even by people who aren't themselves religious. They just, I mean, I heard one cabinet minister quoted as saying, I'm not going to have any pope telling us what to do. And, and that's the fear of... What's seen as arbitrary authority is still there, very definitely. You raise an interesting question there about this idea that the Pope dictates policy in the UK. And uh, there's often a lot of criticism around um, uh, Islam in the sense that people's loyalty lies to Islam rather than to the nation. Um, And the same criticisms were levelled, I suppose, to the communists uh, in the 40s, 50s and 60s, that they were taking their orders from Moscow rather than acting in the national interest. Um, doesn't that itself add a particular problem when thinking about religion and the interests of a particular nation or a particular kind of uh, governmental area? Well, I suppose that's the, one of the reasons for the Reformation, isn't it? <laughs> that, and that's why the Church of England isn't part of the Church of Rome, that it's, in a sense, that it was, it was felt that uh, the Church of Rome was exerting too great a political influence at that time. And so, but, I, I mean, that gets us into deep water. But I, I do think that it's important that uh, a religion um, can uh, state what it believes publicly and be publicly criticised for that and that people shouldn't be afraid of religion, that, that it should respect freedom. At the heart of this debate, is there a, a discussion that needs to be had between, I suppose, what you might say is an absolutist view of the world on the religious side and what tends to be a relativist view on the political side. Are those two views compatible, or yes, um, is there uh, going to be a, always going to be a conflict between those kind of two worldviews? Well, it's interesting that you, you raise that, because I've, I've always, for philosophical reasons, been passionately against relativism in all its forms. I mean, sometimes people get to the point of saying it's true, that there's no such thing as truth. Um, so I'm against all of that. I, I wouldn't... 
oppose relativism to absolutism, which suggests this kind of dogmatic authority, but to the idea of objectivism, the idea that there are objective standards, that we can be right or wrong. I can be wrong, somebody else might be right, so I actually ought to discuss things, and it should enjoin a certain humility. But that there is a truth, even in moral matters, apart from my own particular judgments, is, I think, rather important. I mean, it's a fact whether people get hurt or not, whether I even whether I think they do or not. Just going back to the issue of the state, though, and loyalty to the state, I do think there's another issue there. Uh, it's rather important from a religious point of view, and I think all religions would, would agree with this, uh, that the state is not seen as the ultimate authority. Now, that, to my mind, is a very major step on to totalitarianism. Uh, and this is what, what worries me when I look at, at France and its glorification of la République, and uh, you can see uh, the, the, the idea that actually, in the end, uh, they don't want to be subject, yes, to some other authority, to the Pope or whatever, but then the state is going to decide what's right and wrong, what should be allowed in public and what shan't. I mean, that's another issue. If the state is allowing what will be allowed in public, that's a very sinister move. It's saying the state is the ultimate authority. And I think any religion will have to say, actually, all authority stems from God, and the authority of the state stems from God. Now, in this country, we've always believed that. I mean, that's the symbolism of the coronation service, that uh, the monarch is subject to a higher authority. And I was interested, it was about a year ago, when uh, Tony Blair was being uh, questioned about the Iraq war, and he did say that he believed that he was under the judgment of God f for that. Now, um, he got a lot of criticism for that, it's bringing religion into public life again, and people don't like, they get embarrassed by this parade of religious views, but I was there rather reassured by that um, because I thought it important that he should see that he isn't the final authority of what's right or wrong, or and all of his judgments, all the judgments of the government, everything that takes part in public life, should be judged against a higher authority. Now of course if you were an atheist, there is no other authority than I suppose, the judgment of the people at any one time. And if the people turn in an anti-democratic direction, I'm not sure what one's reaction is. But you mean you raised the point there about the, the kind of atheist's view. In the democratic system that we operate in the UK, isn't the higher authority for Tony Blair the electorate? Yes, but, but then I think, as has been so often said, um, the, the functioning of a democracy depends on the character of the people, I remember uh, plenty of people observing America have said that in the 19th century, Tocqueville said that, um, that, that uh, unless you can depend on the character of the people, democracy itself will fail. I mean, if people are all self-seeking, um, corrupt, uh, democracy w will not stand. Um, so, uh, in, in the end, again, wh where does the character of the people come from? And a lot of people would say, well, that itself comes from religious teaching. I mean, a lot of people have said and would still say that the strength of American democracy, despite all its faults, depends on the character of the people, and the character of the people depends on a very strong religious base. So is this a debate then, f is this a debate that can be had by the politicians or by the religious leaders? Is it actually a debate that we as a, as, as a society need to decide what kind of democracy, what kind of structures that we want? 
Yes, but I don't think we should decide that religion isn't a part of it, because I think it is just a fact that it is. That's always or should be part of the democratic discussion, part of the democratic process. And after all, democracy does presuppose this disagreement. I mean, if we all agreed, there wouldn't be any need for democratic procedures. So in a way, we shouldn't be too worried about the fact of pluralism, because you know, that's what democracy is about. It's getting different groups of people together to talk rationally. And there are a lot of things that even people of different religions can uh, agree about. I mean, I've written a lot over the years about the importance of human nature and ethics, and it does give us a common grounding. I think we can all point to things that are helpful or harmful to human beings. Mm. I mean, basically, if you starve or haven't got any housing or, or etc., uh, you're not going to do very well. So there are all kinds of things that one can agree about as, as a starting mm. point, and then when things get more controversial, I still think that the root point is, well, do people do better with that or not? A very good, good example of that at the moment is, uh, because it's, it involves tie-ups with morality and, and, and sex, is the whole question of the birth rate and the way that in Western Europe the birth rate is plunging. Now, there are all kinds of reasons for that, uh, but quite clearly people's individual private decisions about their sexual behaviour um, and whether to have children and so on, have enormous public consequences and mm. put the whole future of a society at risk. I mean, so that instead, I mean, for instance, in Italy, I think the replacement rate is, you know, say, 2.1, and they're getting 1.2 children per couple now. So th that's enormously dangerous. Doesn't that then throw into the uh, entire question as to whether or not there is any separation between private and public? Well, because, as you is. say, well, I mean... I mean, exactly, I actually, I mean, in the end, I don't believe there is. I mean, that's one of the reasons why I say no religion can't be privatised, mm. because nothing is that private. Everything has public consequences. And there's very little that we do, that even in the privacy of our own homes, that doesn't ripple out into society. And certainly, I mean, what's more private than deciding how many children you have in the family? Mm. Or what's more private than deciding whether you're going to live... Uh, with somebody or live on your own. But if enough people decide to live on their own, suddenly you need a lot more houses than South East England is built on. So the, the, the whole distinction between private and public is a very insecure one. Roger, thank you very much.